Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is Numbers chapter 11, starting to read at the first verse. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Taborah, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on you, on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me right now, if I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me seventy of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you, so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Here I am among six hundred thousand men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together seventy of their elders and made them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. 
However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they did not go to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore the place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. From Kibroth Hatava, the people travelled to Hazaroth and stayed there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Graham, for reading for us. Uh, do keep your Bibles open at Numbers 11. Let me pray. Father, in our weakness this morning, we ask for your power to be at work amongst us. I pray that you would sustain me as I preach, that I would be faithful to your words. I pray for all of us that as we engage with the scriptures before us, that you would be at work in our hearts by your spirit to do what we cannot do on our own, which is to open our eyes, to cause us to believe and to trust in you and to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I got some extra time off in August, and I used some of that time to get back into playing golf. And I had a great time. Beautiful views, peace and quiet for three or four hours, a, a clubhouse at the end for a refreshing drink. The whole experience was really very pleasant. And at one point, after a round, I found myself thinking, if I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't have to worry about Sunday meetings or midweek small groups or just general serving, I'd have much more time to play golf. Now, I realize that for many people, the thought of playing golf holds no attraction at all. But I wonder what it is for you. I wonder what might tempt us to be envious of the non-Christian world around us. Maybe it is just having more free time to spend on the hobbies that we enjoy doing. Maybe it's freedom when it comes to issues of lifestyle, of, of money and, and sex and alcohol. Maybe it's that our non-Christian friends just seem like nicer people and we enjoy spending more time with them. Or I wonder, perhaps most devastatingly of all, I wonder if it's disappointment with God. We start out in the Christian life and we put our trust in God. We read his word, he promises good to us, and yet our experience of the Christian life feels like one heartache after another. We can feel like he's let us down. 
And we look around at the world around us, and at times it feels like the world's having a better time than us as Christians. And we wonder, is it better to have never believed in a God at all than to have believed in a God and to feel like he's let us down? What makes us envious of the non-Christian worlds? It's a question that takes us right to the heart of Numbers 11. So far, Numbers 1 to 10, we've seen the people of God being prepared and ordered for a great victory march to the promised land with God in their midst. What a moment in history. You can feel the excitement. In Numbers 10, Moses gets chatting to his father-in-law, Hobab. You see, Hobab is thinking of leaving the people of God at this point and heading off in a different direction. But just look at what Moses says to Hobab. Uh, Numbers 10, verse 29, just before our reading. We are setting off for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us. And we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Hobab, stick around. Don't leave now. Good things are coming. You don't want to miss out on this journey to the promised land. And Hobab sticks around. But three days into the march home, disaster strikes. In the first three verses of Numbers 11, we discovered that the biggest threat for the people of God as they march home is not some external threat or some terrible army coming at them. No, the threat is from within. There's a pattern that we'll see again and again in this middle section of Numbers. Some hardship, some trial comes towards the people. They respond by turning away from the Lord, arousing his anger, meaning the people need to be rescued from his judgment. And with that pattern in mind, the rest of chapter 11 is dominated by a crisis about food. And because of the crisis, we'll see that both the people and Moses, in different ways, end up wondering if they would be better off not being part of God's people on this journey to the promised land. As Christians, we are on a journey home to the promised land of the new creation, and in 1 Corinthians 10, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, speaking about this moment in history, says, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. You see, these hardships and difficulties, well, we too will experience them in the Christian life. Numbers 11 is an example of what can happen to God's people when the hardships come. It's a warning for us not to make the same mistakes. And so let's dive into the story. It begins with the people complaining. And our first warning is this. Don't forget God's goodness. We pick it up in verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. Uh, the rabble here is probably non-Israelites who have joined the people as they left Egypt on this great journey. And we can sympathize with the complaint. Back when I was a student, I remember a number of times forgetting to go shopping and in the cupboards only finding bread. So for a couple of meals in a row, just living off bread alone. And after a couple of meals, you start to crave variety, pot noodles, pasta, anything else. Well, these people had been on the road around Sinai now for around a year. 
It's a long time to only eat manna. Verses 7 to 9, they've ground it, crushed it, cooked it, but it's still manna, and they're fed up with it. So verse 4 continues, and again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. And again, before we roll our eyes at the attitude of the people, remember they had seen the Lord perform mighty miracles and signs and wonders as he rescued them from Egypt. They'd seen the Red Sea parted. Indeed, a year ago, in Exodus 16, the Lord had even spruced up the menu with quail. You see, the people know the Lord can do better than manna. He's got the power to do it. He's just, he's not doing it. I wonder if we've ever felt this way, perhaps in our practical circumstances. They just seem needlessly difficult. And we wonder what a good, all-powerful God is doing. And of course, circumstances in life can be weightier than whether lunch will be meat or just manna. I've been baffled this last 18 months at this pandemic. And the, the terrible impact it's had on our nation and the church family, it's been so difficult. Why? In the email I sent to the church family on Friday, there are further difficult things for us to engage with in the coming days. When the hardships come, and they will as we journey home to the new creation, how will we respond? Earlier this year, we did a series looking at lamenting from the Psalms. And we saw that it is good and right for God's people to cry out to the Lord in our pain, How long, O Lord? But we need to see here in Numbers 11 that the people go too far. This wailing is not lamenting. No, it's grumbling. And I say that because lamenting is a cry to God in our pain. But here in Numbers 11, the people are simply complaining about God to other people. Indeed, in their hearts, they are drifting from the Lord. Look at verse 5. They say, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Maybe, maybe the people did eat fish and cucumbers and melons back in Egypt, but even if they did, this is a very selective memory of their experience of living in Egypt. Egypt was a place of slavery of beatings and bricks without straw, a place of death for God's people. And, and grumbling can do this. It can warp reality, skew our perspective, causing us to put our hopes in things that, that destroy us. But here in Numbers 11, this grumbling is really a rejection of the Lord. Look forward to the end of verse 18. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat just for one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And indeed, when the quail does arrive in overwhelming quantities, verse 33, 
we read, the anger of the Lord burned against the people. I imagine many parents have had the experience of heading off on a long journey in the car with the kids in the back, and after just a few miles, the, this squabbling breaks out behind you, and you, the, the fighting and the bickering. And after a while, you turn around and say, enough, be quiet, because your, your patience is worn down. But that is not the way that God is angry here. He hasn't, he hasn't lost patience as humans do with his people. No, his anger comes because the people have personally rejected him after all that he's done for them and rescued them from Egypt. And so God's anger is a, a righteous, fitting anger. And for us today, when, when hardships come, there's a, a very real danger. Our hearts will turn against the Lord as well that will think that we are better off without him. And, and notice how this grumbling was contagious. It starts with the, the rabble at the edge of the camp, and then it spreads, verse 4, into the, the people more generally. And by verse 10, every family is sat at the entrance of the tent wailing. And grumbling is contagious today. The warning for us is this. Don't forget God's goodness. In their grumbling, the people have zoomed in on one issue, food variety, and made that the barometer by which they assess the Lord. They have forgotten everything else. The rescue from Egypt, the Red Sea being parted, God revealing himself at Mount Sinai, creating a covenant relationship with his people, promising them a, a new land of flowing with milk and honey in just 11 days' time if they were to journey straight ahead. And even now, God's presence with them, marked by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. You see, the human heart is very good at this. I see it in myself, zooming in on one issue and making that the barometer by which we test God's goodness for us. But in biblical lament, uh, even as the psalmist cries out, how long, O Lord? As the prayer goes on, there's always some turning point, some hinge, some change of mood, and, and the hinge is all to do with God's character. It's remembering something about the Lord. The psalmist often says, yet I will remember your unfailing love. I will put my hope in your word. And of course, this side of the cross of Christ, we have an even greater reason to be confident of God's unfailing love, of his goodness for us. In Christ, we have been redeemed, not from Egypt, but from slavery to sin, the shadow of death, given an inheritance that cannot be taken from us in the new creation. Yes, we can cry out to the Lord about this pandemic or about the problems facing us as a church. We can say, how long Oh Lord. But then let's keep praying. Yet I will remember your love for us. I will remember your precious son given for us. In you I will place my hope. In our small groups this week, we have a chance to, to think about this, to think about the ways in which our hearts are tempted to go back to Egypt, back to the non-Christian world around us, because we think in the moment we're better off but also a chance to think about how, as a church, we can remember God's goodness 
Remember why he is worth following. That's our first warning. Don't forget God's goodness. Then second, we come to the other big complaint in Numbers 11. Uh, This one comes from Moses, the leader. And here's our second warning. Don't forget God's power. You can just picture the scene facing Moses. There are 600,000 men in the camp. That's more than the population of Sheffield. And that's not including women and children. Imagine the scene. There's a a wall of noise, a wall of wailing. At every tent entrance, families crying out, give us meat. And they're in a desert. And no wonder Moses is overwhelmed. Verse 14, I cannot carry all these people myself. Their burden is too heavy for me. And of course, he's right. But does Moses go too far? Verse 15, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me right now. He is, he's so fed up that, well, he'd prefer to die than to keep going on this journey that God has planned for the people. And this feels like a very dangerous place for Moses to be. It's not that different from the people saying they want to go back to Egypt, a land of hopelessness and death. In this moment, Moses is in danger of forgetting God's power. But there's a difference here. Unlike the people who only complain about God, Moses takes his complaint and prays it to God. And perhaps that's why God doesn't get angry with Moses. Instead, verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Back in Exodus uh, 18, Moses was also overwhelmed by the burden of looking after the people, and he set up some judges to help him judge people's disputes and cases. That was more of an administrative decision. Here, it seems that this delegation is more about spiritual leadership. And it's very clear that that God himself is behind this because it's his spirit that comes from Moses and is placed on these 70 elders to equip them for this service. This issue of prophesying, I think, is a public display that God has indeed come on these elders. But the prophecy is only for a, a moment, but to show what's happened. And to Moses' great credit, rather than being threatened by the sharing of leadership, he humbly welcomes it. When Joshua comes running over concerned about Eldad and Medad prophesying, look at what Moses says, verse 29, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses gets it. God has answered his complaints by empowering other leaders to serve with him. And knowing where the power comes from helps Moses not to be arrogant or jealous. And just as in a side, surely this is a timely reminder for the church today. 
when a human leader starts to think too much of themselves, when they think that they have all the power, bad things happen, including jealousy, control, and power games. Indeed, if we had more time to look forward to Numbers 12, we see exactly this thing happening with Miriam and Aaron as they become jealous of Moses. Authentic Christian leadership is not about being strong, but knowing you are weak and knowing that God is the one who is strong and equips. I know I find this difficult. I love to be strong. I don't like being weak. Moses is a great example that the church needs today. But it's not all good for Moses. Even as he humbly welcomes God's power to equip more leaders to look after the people, yet he still doubts God's power to provide. When God reveals his plan to feed the people with meat, Moses cries out in verse 21, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? I'm reminded of the disciples in the gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples overwhelmed by the task of trying to feed so many people in the desert with no food and fish. But both Moses and the disciples miss where the power lies. Verse 23, the Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And indeed, the quail comes in overwhelming and miraculous quantities. Don't doubt God's power. For us, on our journey home to the new creation, hardships will come our way. Like Moses, it is very easy to doubt that God's arm is long enough to help. And I think the particular thing for Moses Back in Exodus 16, he'd seen God provide quail in the desert in a remarkably similar situation already before. So Moses knows God can do it. I think his struggle is to reapply what he already knows about God's power to a new situation today. That's his struggle. And for us, we sit here on a Sunday reading about a God who can feed a nation out of nothing. And we go, wow, God's power is amazing. But then Monday morning... The phone rings, or we glance at the diary. We have a conversation with someone, and we just feel overwhelmed by the day ahead of us. Think, well, I can't get through. And instead of praying to our powerful God, we panic. Don't forget God's power. As a church, we are in a section of the journey home to the new creation that feels particularly daunting. We've got building project disruptions. We have pandemic disruptions. The resignation of our vicar and the circumstances that go with it. Uh, The meetings I mentioned coming up this week. I could go on. You get the picture. But as a church, let's not forget God's power. He sustained a nation back in Numbers 11, and he can sustain his people today. 
prayer is not pointless. God does hear. He does have the power to sustain us this day and every new day that we might experience. And as we finish, let's remember that in the Lord Jesus, we have an even better leader than Moses. On our journey home to the new creation, when we cry out, Jesus is not fed up or overwhelmed by our burdens. No, quite the opposite. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Moses says, how can I provide for this people? Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And most of all, Moses was unable to protect the people from God's anger when it fell on them. But Jesus died in our place to take God's anger for our sin on himself. And in Christ, we are forever protected from God's anger. In Christ, we see God's goodness and God's power most fully revealed. And as we look to him, we are sustained for the journey, whatever hardships we might experience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have kindly given us in your word examples of what happens in hardships. We pray that you would kindly, by your great power, grant us hearts that believe. Believe in your goodness. Believe in your sustaining power. That in moments of crisis, as we cry out to you, we would trust and follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.